Hello, everybody. Welcome to Danger on Delmarva. My name is Rhonda Jefferson, and I'll be your host as we explore the dark and winding roads that lead around the Delmarva Peninsula. Today, we'll be getting more back on track with our regular type of episodes, looking at past tragedies and crimes that have occurred on the Delmarva Peninsula. Delmarva is an area in the mid-Atlantic region of the United States, and it encompasses all of Delaware, Maryland to the east of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, and Virginia to the northeast of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. We're still going to be kind of in the same season, though, um, in today's stories, and we're going to be taking a look at something that is very, very big in Delaware, or maybe I should say was, and that's Pumpkin Chunkin'. And if you're not familiar with that, the name kind of says what's going on, but it's really a lot more complicated and a lot more intense than that. So before I really get into today's story, I just want to go over a couple of things that I usually go through in most episodes. One is that the topics and content that I talk about can be distressing to some listeners. Usually there'll be discussion of injury, death, and other topics that now, I admit they're sometimes even hard to talk about. So just listener discretion advised because you know one of those topics are usually on most episodes. Any source that I use will be linked in the description of the episode. And I am going to try to find videos that I can share to put in the links to give you an idea about Pumpkin Chunkin'. If you can, also please share, subscribe, leave a review. Um, just depending on how you're listening or how you listen to the episodes, it varies on what type of feedback you might be able to use, but that will help make the podcast more searchable. Um, so if someone's looking for this type of content, it's easier for them to find. I am hoping to grow the listener numbers back as they seem to have dropped um, recently. I don't know if that's because of the type of episodes or if... Um, there was an issue with one of the platforms where people listened, um, you know, getting it back on there. So just if you can, please share um, the information about the podcast so we can try to build up those numbers. And I am hoping, fingers crossed, to get a new computer with um, the sales that are going to be coming up because this one that I have is slow, as I can't even describe. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to get one that's more geared towards graphics, gaming, even though I won't be using it for gaming, I think they, they'll probably be a little bit faster. So again, fingers crossed um, for that for next year. But with all of that being said, let's take a look at Pumpkin Chunkin. As with many smaller communities, annual events and festivals become a staple at particular times of the year, whether it be an annual holiday craft fair or a summer fun fair. These events can help both bring the community closer together, and the larger events can also help bring in tourist dollars and revenue. Delaware has been fortunate to have some major events make Delaware their home, even though the state is fairly small. There's the Firefly Music Festival, as well as some major NASCAR events that occur annually, and NASCAR is usually in Delaware for two weekends a year. And all of these take place in Dover, the capital of Delaware, but it does bring in revenue for all of the surrounding cities as well, 
because there's only so many hotel rooms or restaurants that Dover may have. So it really helps the whole community. In other cases, events can really enable a very passionate following. Um, one that comes to mind is Pumpkin Chunkin. Now, I'm somewhat familiar with the event as pretty much as long as I can remember, people have talked about it, even though I may not have visited um, Pumpkin Chunkin while it was going on, at least when I was younger. I knew what it was about. But gradually, it started to build up, and Delaware hosted the World Championship for Pumpkin Chunkin. Now, the Pumpkin Chunkin is not just somebody going out and throwing a pumpkin. It's not like a strong person event where, you know, somebody will toss it as far as they can throw it. This is machines on a whole new level. It first started with some people wondering what to do with all of the leftover Halloween pumpkins and from building these small machines in their garage and even starting some informal events where people would get together. It's now grown into not only a nationwide but worldwide event. It's thought that in some years, attendance was 100,000 people or more coming from different parts of the country and also other parts of the globe. And as more and more people began being interested in building these massive machines to throw pumpkins, television networks even became involved and started airing specials about pumpkin chunkin. And this would include Discovery Channel affiliates, and later on we'll talk about the Science Channel. There are usually um, a number of different machines that are used, and some are more familiar, such as the slingshot, catapult, or air cannon, where the cannon uses compressed air to project a pumpkin as far as it can go, in some cases even going 3,000 or more feet. Now, some other ones we might not be as familiar with are centrifugals and trebuchets. In the centrifugals, they basically build up a momentum to project the pumpkin out, whereas a trebuchet is kind of like a multi-level catapult. Um, there's an extra arm that um, moves forward and projects the pumpkin, or if you're using it as a weapon, the rock, or whatever the ammunition was. In this case, the pumpkin, though. And this is where, um, if I can get links that... I am allowed to share that they're not copyrighted or anything, then they will be in the description. So you can get an idea at least of what these different machines do. So eventually I did go to Pumpkin Chunkin. It's held literally just a few miles from my home. So my husband finally one year convinced me. Now me, I'm, well, I, I overanalyze everything basically. So I really did not want to go, but the kids actually started to get excited. So I'm like, okay, but we stand as far back as possible. And I actually was pretty impressed when we got there as it was very clear as to when a pumpkin was going to be let go. So it wasn't you know, just all of a sudden a pumpkin would be released and nobody was aware of it. For one thing, people come to watch the pumpkins. They want to know when it happens, but also for safety to make sure that you're aware of your own situation and exactly where you are. Frankly, once we got there, the kids became more excited in the fair-type food that was there. So and I, I admit I kind of was too. So we actually got more out of that, whereas my husband was excited to see all the different machines. Now, with giant pumpkins being propelled by so many forces of nature that have been harnessed into a man-made machine, 
you would think that eventually something could go wrong, like, you know, a piece of pumpkin going off and hitting someone. But amazingly enough, the two major incidents that have occurred at Pumpkin Chunkin, well, they didn't necessarily involve a pumpkin directly. Some questions that I think are kind of brought up in lawsuits that were associated with these incidents is a question of how much responsibility or liability should an organization hold, if there are known inherent risks, and if someone's a volunteer or chooses to be there, do they give up their right to sue or bring, bring any type of concern forward if they're involved in an accident, if they knowingly were there? And again, kind of seeing pumpkins flying through the air, you can only predict so much. So also knowing that something could go wrong. Now, it may be also that um, going from stories that my mom told me when I was younger, such as when she was a very small girl in the early 1950s, she went to some type of carnival and was thrown by a ride, yet they didn't sue. Nobody from the carnival ever contacted them. Basically, she was thrown and was severely injured and needed an operation, but there were no EMTs. My aunt said literally someone just came and picked up my mom and said, we need to get her to the hospital. And you know, there's not really any close hospital, so that was the quickest way to get someone there, rather than try to wait for an ambulance in the 1950s, is they just had to put her in a car and go. But no one paid for the medical bills. There was nothing like that. She just went about going to the doctor as they normally would and did end up needing surgery, too. But today, we look at events with a different view, I think. We understand that after years and years of you know, certain machines being around, whether they be vehicles, planes, or amusement park rides, or machines used for entertainment, shouldn't they be getting safer? And knowing about more safety guidelines that every organization should use, what happens when those guidelines are not enough? Now, I know that when the first lawsuit came about from an injury that occurred in 2011, a lot of people were upset. In 2011, a man named Daniel Fair was a volunteer at Pumpkin Chunkin. His job was to measure how far the pumpkin went, and they did this using ATVs. You know, as I said before, some pumpkins, they've gone thousands of feet. So for someone to be able to measure the distance as well as get out of the way of any future flying pumpkins, they need to be able to do that fast so ATVs were used. At one point when Mr. Fair was riding the ATV, he got to a point that some newspapers called a depression in the field, whereas another called it an elevated walkway. So I'm almost wondering if, depending on your viewpoint, um, from looking at it, if some people were viewing the fact that it was lower just before you got to the elevated walkway, that that was the depression, whereas others were looking at it more in terms of the elevated walkway being the problem. But it sounds like they were both kind of connected. And Mr. Fair hit that and was ejected from the ATV. And subsequently, the ATV actually flipped and landed on Mr. Fair. He did suffer serious injuries, including spinal fractures, and he has lost his job and is a paraplegic, at least according to the last reports that I could find um, that were reported in the news. 
So he is going to experience long-term life-altering injuries where he's not going to be able to work um, as he has lost his job because he needed to, for one thing, just recover as much as possible from the injury. But the type of work he did was not conducive to him not being able to get up and be more physical at the job. Wheatley Farms, which is where the Pumpkin Chunkin events had been held, along with others associated with Pumpkin Chunkin, were sued by Mr. Fair. The suit stated that the property owners and the competition were at fault because of, quote, negligence and that the elevation or depression was not properly marked and was not properly graded, end quote. Other conversation centered around whether or not volunteers were properly trained to go through such an intense event. You know, because this is fast-paced, you have to be aware of everything, you're always on the move, so were the volunteers properly trained? Wheatley Farms had, through their attorney, countered that Mr. Fair, as someone who had previously volunteered in other years for the event, had ridden over that section approximately 150 times through you know previous years and that year, as well as other ATV riders had driven over that numerous times and never had an issue. They also brought up that, according to some witnesses, he may have been going too fast. They referred to the ATV as being souped up. So in other words, they were saying that Mr. Fair was driving unsafely at the time of the incident, further explaining that part of the fun of having an ATV and purpose of having an ATV is to be able to ride around on that type of land that might be uneven, um, such as farmland, and that's what Mr. Fair enjoyed doing. So it was an activity that he took part in willingly, is what they were saying. This also meant that Wheatley Farms kind of looked at Pumpkin Chunkin differently and kicked them off their property. And that's understandable, as they would probably have increased insurance costs because of the lawsuit, and they wanted to make sure that they did not take any subsequent hits in regards to liability. Now, eventually, Mr. Fair's suit was settled out of court, and we don't know what the actual judgment or settlement or what actually came of that, but it did sound like there was at least some type of compromise made between the two parties to try to bring the lawsuit to an end. Now, the suit had been filed in 2013, and that ended up having an effect on the 2014 and 15 competitions. There weren't any. In 2014, they had tried to get Pumpkin Chunkin to be hosted at Dover International Speedway. However, there was not a mile-long straightaway that would meet the requirements of the machines. So they couldn't have it there. But then there were also subsequent insurance issues as far as finding somebody who could insure the Pumpkin Chunkin without totally making it you know, not worth it if the insurance is you know, going to cost more than any revenue might, you know, might justify it. However, after negotiations back and forth, and after all concerns by all parties were addressed, it was decided that Pumpkin Chunkin would come back to Bridgeville, Delaware, in 2016 at its original site. However, things went from very bad 
much worse in 2016. There was a lot of excitement and anticipation after the disappointment of the previous two years. Many people loved attending Pumpkin Chunkin', not to mention the aforementioned economic boom that usually came with Pumpkin Chunkin'. And with this anticipation and an extra two years to work on your machines, people came to participate, to volunteer, to watch, and to work. One person who had come to work at Pumpkin Chunkin' was Suzanne DeCassian. Now, I looked up how to say that, and it was pronounced a couple of different ways. Um, so I do apologize if I did not pronounce it in the way that it should be. But Suzanne was working as a producer for the Science Channel. There were areas that were out of bounds for the spectators. However, those areas were available to those who were participating in the event, staff, and media, which Suzanne was part of. They were in the air cannon rounds, and at one point, after everything had been going fine throughout the whole competition, an air cannon named the Pumpkin Leaper malfunctioned. It was described as the trap door of the cannon flew off the Reaper. So this is a machine that has an intense amount of air compression to force that pumpkin out of the cannon. So imagine the force of that trap door being blown off. There was shrapnel and pieces of debris that were sent into the air. To go back to one of the previous numbers, there had been air cannons that had fired 3,000 feet or more. So that's the amount of force that would have been behind that malfunction. Two people were known to be immediately injured, one being a 56-year-old man who was taken to a local hospital. He was not reported to have had any life-threatening injuries, and it would be nice to find more information about him and how he was doing, um, even if he didn't want his name out there, but there was no further information that I could find. However, the second person injured was Suzanne. Now, initially, reports went out that she had been killed, and I actually saw the headline first, um, you know, like a news notification had come up on my phone when it first happened. And so I was kind of in shock from that, that something could malfunction like that. Yes, I said I had my worries, but that was usually about the actual pumpkins being, you know, shot through the air, not the actual machines breaking. But later, it was clarified she had not died at the scene, but she was in very serious condition. She was taken to a local hospital and stabilized, where she was then flown to Christiana Hospital. And this is something that I've mentioned in the past as well. Hospitals are very far, far apart. So, you know, a lot of times it's get someone to a hospital, but even once they get there, then... Unfortunately, not many have trauma centers or can do the more complex surgery, so they have to be taken to different hospitals. Now, once Suzanne went into surgery, part of her skull had to be removed, and that was because the swelling in her brain was so severe that if there wasn't some type of release um, around her skull, she could have had major compression to her brain which would have caused even more injury than she was already going through. Now, at a time of an interview, which was um, at least a few weeks after she had been injured, she was still in the hospital, 
but by that point, the Science Channel had decided to um, scrap the show. They weren't going to show it that year. And she did express some disappointment. Depending on a person's outlook, it might seem like they did all of that work leading up to the show and then even became injured. And all of that was for nothing because the show didn't go on. Other people may look at it in you know, the other way in that somebody was injured while filming the show and nobody should be entertained by that. And in cases where the person can make the decision, I think they should have the major say in whether or not the show goes on. But I can definitely understand her frustration too in that she suffered this major injury. And now the reason why she had suffered that injury by being there to produce a show wasn't going to happen. However, it was going to take a long time for her to recover and she may not ever be able to participate in the type of jobs or production that she had participated in previously. So, you know, any shows that there may be a lot of outdoor or active scenes where, you know, she described previous productions where she was like really out there and participating. So it would be a big change. This is what she said, quote, I was really looking forward to seeing what came from all that hard work I put in. The days of the chunk, I was working 15-hour days, and to not see the product after all that blood, sweat, and tears that went into the show, I'm really bummed out about it. But I understand that this is a big world, and it's much bigger than me, and I don't have any kind of right to say what people should or shouldn't do. End quote. To give you an idea of some of the shows that um, Suzanne DeCasian had worked in that you may have heard of. Um, they included Teen, Teen Mom and Alaskan Bush People. But like Fair, Suzanne did go on to sue um, as she stated that DenRec or Delaware Department of Natural Resources, that the standards that they had, um, also the World Pumpkin Junkin Inc., and the safety consultants Eastern and Associates. Um, the suit said that they were, quote, lacking, resulting in the use of a dangerous and defective air cannon in close proximity to nearly 100,000 people attending, end quote. She has lost vision in her right eye, also just with the direction that the shrapnel and metal was going. Um, it hit the upper left side of her body, and that has significantly impacted her mobility on that side of the body, and one newspaper article referred to it as, quote, significant loss of its use, leaving her unable to perform her work duties as well as many daily functions, end quote. Like the previous lawsuit as well, this was settled with no admission of guilt. So I'm interested in hearing what you may feel about what type of liability an event should have if somebody's injured. I think we as a society sometimes swing to both sides of the spectrum very, very quickly. So even back in the 1950s, um, to use my mother's accident, you know, as kind of a benchmark, there was absolutely nothing done. It doesn't seem like there was an investigation. She was just kind of picked up and taken to the hospital. Today, there would be multiple investigations and, you know, the ride itself and possibly otherwise rides would be shut down and you're going to have detractors and proponents of each 
you know, each side. How much is too much oversight? Is there such a thing as too much oversight? But then we have to stop to remember that we've learned after years and years of transportation incidents, amusement park ride incidents, basically entertainment incidents where people have been injured and try to make it safer for the public at large. Complicating these two incidents as well is the fact that these were not spectators, but those who were actually working in some function at the property. I personally do think there needs to be regulations, and each time something does happen, continue with doing intense investigations to always strive to make things safer. But with a lot of things come inherent risk. Whenever we get into a vehicle each day, even though we might be as careful as possible that we maintained our vehicles properly, we can't always control what another person does. If you know, just an accident happens, if everything just falls into place where an accident occurs, there's always some type of inherent risk. Is there that risk then when you go to an amusement event? I think there's a lot of different viewpoints from this, as some people will say that the revenue that comes in is worth it to local businesses and you know, community economies, things like that. But is that worth one person even going through lifelong permanent injuries? So if you are on a platform where you can start a discussion, I would think that this is one of those topics where you might see both sides. Um, I do post these on YouTube, so I know that they have the comment section as well as on Facebook if Facebook doesn't think it's spam this time and tries to block it. But just let me know what you think, and it will be about another two weeks before my next episode. I haven't quite decided which story to proceed with, um, probably since I haven't done one about true crime recently. I'll probably um, be looking for um, some type of true crime episode. So I have a few of those that I've worked on. If you are interested in learning more about local stories and legends, there's stories about Maggie's Bridge, the Wicomico County Catman, and the ghosts of Accomack County, Virginia. I will talk to everybody soon and have a good one. Bye.